You're listening to the Greek's Gridiron, live with Ethan Haristadoulou. All right, everybody, back again, the Greek's Gridiron. I am your host, Ethan Haristadoulou. It is Thursday, April 1st, 2021. I do not have any April Fool's jokes planned out for you guys today. We are talking nothing but the NFL for the most part. Uh, yeah, pretty much nothing but the NFL, aside from some pro day stuff, which coincides with the NFL. Um, pretty, pretty wild week. I guess you'd have to say uh, a lot of news conferences going on with management. Uh, the 49ers kind of had a whole discussion this past week on what it is exactly they plan on doing with their draft selection at number three. Robert Kraft had an interview yesterday as well. So some of the bigger higher ups on some teams, you know, having conversations with the media about where they're looking to go and why, you know, things have been done the way they have been done. Uh, I was very interested to see what Robert Kraft had to say about the Patriots yesterday. Uh, and, you know, you kind of got what you expected out of that news conference conference very interesting stuff came out of the conference with Kyle Shanahan and um, GM John Lynch over there in San Francisco we're going to talk about that Uh, some pro days went on these past few days and a lot of top prospects impressed uh, maybe even beyond what some people were expecting to see Uh, and then also on top of that the NFL has officially voted on and confirmed on their 17 game regular season that they'll be having starting this season coming up here in 2021 so plenty to talk about we'll just jump right into the thick of things and first thing that we'll kind of knock out of the way uh, this is depending on who you are and where you stand on the whole situation it's big news Um, some people are for it some people are for against it Uh, I'm kind of in the middle where I understand where both sides are coming from I don't really want to pick a side on this one because you know I can see both sides of it. I understand why the NFL is trying to do it. I understand why some of the players probably hate it. So with the question of the day leading into the topic, are you looking forward to this upcoming season's 17-game schedule? And what matchups are you most excited for? With the 17-game schedule comes an entire week of more games being played. Essentially, how it's going to work out now that it is odd-numbered games, it'll no longer be every single team gets an even number of home and away games. It'll either be the AFC hosting the games in Week 18, which would be this year, and then the NFC hosting next year. I think what it's doing is it's alternating opposite of how the Super Bowl is being hosted. So I believe just this past season, the NFC hosted the Super Bowl. So now the a- or maybe it's the AFC. I don't know. But it's flip-flopping similar to how the Super Bowl is hosted, where you have AFC one year, NFC the other year. So every single year, one entire conference is going to be down a home game to the other one. Uh, so with that, a removal of a preseason game as well, the way the NFL's kind of CBA was discussed and agreed upon last year was that the NFL was allowed to kind of make changes to the they, – they were no uh, – how do I word this correctly? They were allowed to add at least one or at most one game to the schedule, to the regular season schedule, but they could not surpass 20 games overall. So with that, they took one preseason game essentially and just made it a regular season game. They aren't allowed to add any more. I saw some questions about, oh, well, can the NFL owners just keep adding on more games? And like, could we end up with like a 20 game regular season and no preseason games or something crazy like that? No, they're only allowed to add one actual regular season game until the end of the CBA, which runs until about 2030, I believe. So at this point, there's nothing beyond the 17 game season unless the entire players association and everyone kind of got together and agreed upon expanding it even more. I think the biggest issue I have with this whole thing is the lack of an extra bye week. The NFL season is already long as it is and just extending the amount of 
games that are actually mattering to the entire league uh, only like stresses that even more. I'm surprised they decided to just flat out say, no, there's no extra bye week. I don't think any fans would have been upset with them adding a bye week because not only do you have an 18 week season now, if you added a bye week, you technically have 19 weeks of football, which only expands upon what the NFL has for like in terms of opportunity for television rights and, you know, commercial deals and whatever it may be. So I'm kind of surprised they just opted to stick with only 18 weeks and not go 19 weeks and have, you know, an extra bye week in there. I think it would only help the teams. And on top of that, especially if it was like bye weeks really late into the season, I mean, you know, some of those teams go limping into the playoffs if they're ravaged by injuries. So We'll have to kind of just see how this works out. You know, it's been very split amongst the players from what I've seen on Twitter. I was going through just kind of reading some people as the whole news kind of became official because this is something everyone expected for the last, you know, handful of months now. This was not like anything new. This was coming. It was just it needed to be made official. Alvin Kamara came out straight up and just said it's dumb as hell. Uh, Adrian Amos also said he couldn't believe that they allowed this to happen. So, you know, you have the players that are you know, being very vocal about it and unhappy with the whole thing. I know that player like payments are getting adjusted a little bit with how, you know, rather than getting paid over 17 weeks, they're getting paid over 18 weeks now. I don't know if that means they're just making less per week, but getting the same amount over a more extended period of time. Something like that would bother me if I'm working for an extra week and getting paid the same amount. Not okay with that. Not cool. I, I'm, I'm one of those people where, you know, you, you can mess with me and whatnot, but don't mess with my money. Uh, so I can understand frustrations in that where, you know, be it there, there's an extra week. Why are you not getting paid extra? You know, it does, doesn't make sense to me. So I can understand the frustrations with that. So very curious to see how the whole thing shakes out. Uh, this also kind of affects the whole international expansion thing that the NFL is doing. So obviously it's no secret. The NFL has been trying to kind of expand their reach into the entire world. They want the NFL or at least football as a whole or American football, that is to become a more well-known international type of sport, similar to how like soccer is. I feel like they look at soccer <clears throat> or if you're outside of the U S actual football, you know, they probably look at that and say, this is what we want the NFL to be like, you know, a giant, you know, international thing that can be done everywhere where like, just imagine a world where, you know, the NFL is the U S league, the, you know, the EU has their own league, maybe South America has their own league. And then after the entire seasons play through, then you send like the, the Super Bowl winners of those areas into one giant tournament where you kind of decide like a worldwide winner, kind of how like the FIFA has the world cup. I would be game for something like that. Whether American football could actually, you know, progress into that stage remains to be seen. It's obviously very popular in America and it's slowly becoming popular in other countries. I would be all for it. Now, because of the way this whole 18 week schedule is going to be, every single team is now guaranteed to play an international game at least once every eight years. So they're kind of really expanding their footprint. I know that the NFL is looking at putting like a game in Germany pretty soon. That's and that's as soon as like 2022, I believe. So they're really trying to get out there and, you know, expand the NFL. And I'm all for that. So this is kind of like one of the things where it's like, okay, well, here's like a plus side to it. So very split down the middle with how you could really look at the whole situation. It's whether you're more of like a, Oh, I want to see more football in more places type of person. Or if you're i I'm more for the players and, you know, listen to their grievances type deal. I, I can see it from both sides. I understand the frustrations, but I also stand, understand the way that some people are maybe spinning it and looking at it positively. 
some of the notable matchups that are coming out of this. Uh, pretty pretty decent games. I was curious to see kind of what games would come from this. We're getting Rams and Ravens, which the Rams having Matthew Stafford now going up against the Ravens, who have been a playoff team the last couple of years. You know, this will be really good. As And granted, these are Week 18 games. So realistically, looking at these matchups right now, they could be good. But half of these matchups, if some of these teams aren't playoff bound or not even in the playoff race, they could be, you know, meaningless. But as far as looking at it right now, Rams, Ravens, Packers, Chiefs will be a good one. That's a really exciting game. I definitely look forward to that one week 18. Bucks and Colts will be a really good one as long as the Buccaneers are, you know, shooting for a repeat and the Colts can stay competitive with Carson Wentz at quarterback. Super exciting to see a showdown like that. Cowboys Patriots will be another one, you know, will the Patriots be able to turn their team around, you know, going into year two without Tom Brady, you know, with all these additions they've brought in from free agency, can they turn the ship around, you know, and start sailing back to the playoffs and then a team like the Cowboys who, you know, Dak, Dak Prescott's returning, he has his massive four year deal, all that drama's behind them, can they put together a defense that can complement the high scoring offense they have and actually make a run to the playoffs? The Browns and Cardinals, the Browns, obviously, the Cinderella team of last year who kind of really came up and took their step into the spotlight. And then someone like the Cardinals who just barely missed the playoffs, who everyone thought early on was playoff bound and kind of fell off towards the end. Then a, a game like the Seahawks, Steelers, Super Bowl 40, uh, you know, rematch per se, obviously plenty of years removed from that, but it is what it is nonetheless. Um both playoff teams last year, can they make it back to the playoffs? These are all really good games that as long as these teams are still pushing towards the playoffs or making their push into the playoffs this time around, they could all be really worth watching. So week 18 definitely looks really good on paper. I'm excited for it. Um, you know, and again, I understand where everyone's coming from that isn't happy about it. I'm all for more football. I, you know, I say that all the time on this show. I love more football. Anything that has to do with more football, I'm all for it. So excited to see where this whole 17 game schedule goes for the league. Um, on top of league news, yes, or what was this two days ago? Yesterday, two days ago, one of the two, Roger Goodell wasn't even asked the question, but he brought it up. Anyways, the NFL is setting plans in place to have full capacity available for all teams next year. That's pretty crazy if you ask me because, you know, going off of what happened last year, they never really set a cap. It was, you know, this is based off of, you know, whatever your lo local authorities were allowing at the time, essentially. Now, going into the following season, vaccines are really starting to roll out through the U.S. I know that we already crossed 100 million people vaccine mark, so, you know, things are slowly but surely working their way back to normal. It appears that the NFL is probably looking at this in a very optimistic manner. Obviously, they can't just be like, yeah, fill the stadiums. It'll go based off what states are allowing, but in the in the direction that everything seems to be trending for sports the texas rangers i believe they have a home game on monday for the first time beginning this season for baseball and uh they have a complete open you know max capacity limit they're allowing the, the entire stadium to be filled that's going to kind of i feel set a precedence for how everyone else goes forward with this i'm excited to see you know how this shakes out i i, I love the idea of having fans back in stadiums as long as everyone can be safe uh you know the nfl didn't feel the same with empty stadiums even with the fake crowd noise it just it didn't sound realistic crowd noise was going up and in, in like places where it didn't really make sense so you know this is awesome um a quote from roger specifically when he was talking about it he said 
All of us in the NFL want to see every one of our fans back. Football is simply not the same without fans, and we expect to have full stadiums in the upcoming season. So that's quote-unquote from him. Um, Big news. Curious to see how the whole thing shakes out. I'm all for it. I, you know, I, I like the, I like to see that, you know, things are slowly going back to normal. This has been a wild, you know, over a year now at this point that we've had, you know, anything that can kind of point us in the direction of normalcy without harming anything or negatively affecting anything. I'm all for it. Now to push all the league news aside, We're going to start focusing in on teams specifically. I mentioned this the other day on the show. So the team I have next up, they've been in the news all over the place for the last like week now. So I figured what better time to just really dial in on them and focus in on a conversation about them. The San Francisco 49ers. These guys have been making, you know, noise for at least like seven, eight, nine days now. Kyle Shanahan's looking for a quarterback. Everyone kind of assumed it when the trade was made last week with the Dolphins. And now after their news conference they had the other day, it has been solidified. They are, in fact, going to look at bringing in a quarterback. Now, let's just kind of go over the, you know, who's who. Who are the options that they're realistically looking at here? Let me just take a sip of this. So they're taking a QB at number three. They are insisting that Jimmy G is in their future plans. Everyone's kind of gone with the idea that, oh, they're doing kind of what, you know, the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith. Um, And if you want to go further back, you know, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, the kind of passing of the torch type deal. That makes sense when you say it out loud. But when it comes down to the money, it doesn't. 25 million in cap space is what Jimmy G is kind of holding up over the 49ers right now in terms of money that they would have to, you know, allocate for him for next season. That is a lot. Now, on top of that, if they cut him, they trade him, they release him, I believe they're only on the hook for roughly like two and a half, close to $3 million in dead money. That's literally nothing. So, you know, they're in a pretty solid position with what the, you know, with how expendable Jimmy G is like with them. And, you know, while they insist that Jimmy G is in the future plans, they have also said that that's barring any trade that completely blows them away. Now, I feel if you're the 49ers, if you really want to move Jimmy G, you've kind of blown your opportunity to really get a good good amount of compensation for him. Now that everyone knows you're going after a quarterback, you don't believe in him. This devalues the quarterback. And I say this all the time, or with any position, not even just the quarterback, but with any position. When you make it clear that you don't value this guy for your future and that he's not somebody you plan on being with, he he becomes far less valuable to the rest of the league. And on top of that, it, it just... It, it only hurts the team going forward because now everyone's thinking, okay, you're, you're looking for a new quarterback. Obviously, you're kind of unsure whether this new quarterback coming in or not is going to be completely ready, but you're making it very clear to the rest of the league that you don't think the guy that you currently have can do it for your team. Injuries was kind of the whole big thing cited with Jimmy G. It was the, oh, not that he, not that he can't play. It's just he's missed two of the last three seasons, and that's true. But the one full season he played, he brought them to the Super Bowl. So it's a weird conundrum they're kind of in because you have – It doesn't happen too often where you have a quarterback lead a team to a Super Bowl, but then on top of that, also couldn't stay healthy the year before and after. That's such a weird mixed bag. I don't think I've personally seen something like this in the NFL, so it is kind of weird to look at. Now, 
Do I think that they end up getting anything good for Jimmy G if they get a trade? You're looking at like a second or third round pick at best. I mean, maybe, you know, a few weeks ago when the quarterback market was hot and teams were looking to move players around, could you have pulled in somebody like with a first round or not pulled in somebody, but could you have dealt him to somebody for a first rounder or maybe a high second rounder? Yeah, definitely. Now you're looking at like mid, low, second round, early thirds at best. I, I just think that at this point, with kind of how they've handled the whole situation, Jimmy G is less valuable to the league. Uh, teams aren't really looking for quarterbacks as much right now. And on top of that, with the pro days going on, and we'll get on this in a little bit, you know, the quarterbacks that are in the draft have only upped their stock going through this offseason with their pro days and being able to speak with the teams and everything. So you've kind of made your veteran quarterback that you don't believe in anymore look less valuable as these younger guys that are coming in, these prospects are making themselves look more and more like they're, you know, legitimate players that could actually lead a team for the next, you know, 10 plus years at the quarterback position. Now, as far as suitors go, if they were to move them, it's going to be somewhere like New England. They're the heavy favorites as far as the rumor mill is concerned. Uh, the Bears are another team that I would look at as far as Jimmy G. I, I would say that he's somewhat of an upgrade over Andy Dalton. And I said this the other day. I personally don't think Andy Dalton is as bad as what some people are trying to make him out to be. He led the Cincinnati Bengals to five straight playoffs. Granted, that was, you know, X amount of years ago, but that team was pretty bad when he was there. It was not very good, led by poor coaching. It was not a great team, and he was still just dragging them into the playoffs. I think he has some decent football left in him. Is he the answer or, like, the, you know, the savior of the Bears? No, not really, but I would say Jimmy G, if he can stay healthy, is probably an upgrade over that. I can't really pick out any other teams just because – I feel like the teams that are left at the quarterback or like the quarterback need position. I mean, everyone else is kind of settled at this point. Uh, Washington football team maybe would be another place he could go, but they just brought in Ryan Fitzpatrick to compete with Taylor Heineke. So I don't really see him going there, but I mean, if, you know, the 49ers just want to move him and get what they can for him and they have the best offer. It could be a possibility, but I'm looking at like bears in new England as probably the two more likely locations. He ends up going if he ends up getting dealt. That's even if the 49ers end up dealing him. Cause obviously they keep insisting they're not going to move him anywhere. Um, outside of the quarterback position though, for the 49ers, let's kind of talk about what else is going on with the team, kind of where they need to go draft-wise and what, what I've kind of targeted for the team and, you know, their needs and where, you know, just the direction I, I feel that they should be heading as they head into the draft. So as far as the needs go, kind of from what I identified, interior D-line's a big one. They lost Solomon Thomas, which was a solid piece to their, in, to the, into the excuse me, interior defensive line. On top of that, cornerback position's another one. They lost Richard Sherman, Akello Witherspoon, and a couple of just like, not, not I don't want to call them no-name guys, because that's not really how I want to say that, but just like lesser pieces for the team. Uh, and then on top of that, they lost wide receiver Kendrick Bourne. So you could argue interior D-line and cornerback for sure. Defense, you know, just kind of shoring up some of those spaces that are open now with legitimate players in the second and third round. Uh, wide receiver is another one you could look at. Obviously, there's Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, and I'm not taking anything away from them. But would you argue right now that either of those guys are true number ones? Maybe Debo Samuel is, but... You know, I think that the 49ers could do with a really big bodied, you know, just like just overall dominant type of pass catcher. I think that it would just only help the offense improve. 
Um, you know, when you look at the 49ers, you think of a really run heavy team that is able to kind of just, you know, do the short intermediate passing game where they can keep the ball rolling and then use those running backs to really in that strong offensive line, especially now that they have somebody like center Alex Mack anchoring them in the middle there, they can really pound the rock. So that's like the three places I think that they really need to go. Um, other pieces that they, you know, they lost the running back as well. Tevin Coleman is gone. He went to the Jets. And then on top of that, Jarek McKinnon's still sitting out in free agency. I don't know if I would per se put running back at the top of the, the list of needs. They have Raheem Mostert, and he's looked really good. But, I mean, bringing in somebody in the third or fourth round that's a, you know, a solid player that could just add depth back to that running back room is something they could look at as well. Um, and then on top of that, I guess edge rusher is another way they could go. They brought in Samson Ibukum from the Rams. Uh, I don't know if they're maybe looking to continue to add to the edge. Uh, but, I mean, the, the pass rush has been a pretty dominant factor for San Francisco. Last year, obviously, things kind of fell off a little bit. They lost Nick Bosa. He's coming back. So hopefully that ends up working in their favor. I know D Ford's another one that he's he's working back from injury. So you know, as long as their injured players come back and are effective, the edge isn't really that necessary, but you can never have too much depth at edge because you always want to be able to pressure the quarterback, whether your starters are in or not. So those are a few places that I kind of narrowed out for San Francisco. There's a lot, this is a pretty, I don't want to say super strong draft for edge, but there are some players in there that you could go after. Um, as far as like people they've already brought in, that kind of make these positions not as concerning, but still like a place to look at. They brought in Zach Kerr for the defensive line over in the interior. He's a D tackle type of person. They brought Trent Sherfield in wide receiver. Uh, and then they also brought in a corner, um, Mark Fields, a cornerback from the Texans. So they've brought players in to address all these positions that I've brought out. But in my opinion, I think that they, you obviously your first picks going to the quarterback. You've already made that very clear with those second and third round picks. And for a team that just traded like a haul of picks to, to move up, they still have an entire massive amount of picks going into this draft. They have a first, second, third, fourth, three fifth rounders, and then they're sixth and seventh. So, I mean, over the normal, you have nine picks going into the draft. So as long as you, you know, your scouting team's doing a really good job and you can hit on some of those later round players, fill in the rotational spots where they're just going to, you know, obviously they're not starting, but they're going to be there for depth. And maybe you find a diamond or two in the rough in the later rounds. The 49ers are poised to come back as a really strong team, though. But those are the three positions they really need to work at is that, you know, that interior D line, bring in a cornerback, wide receiver, you know, Richard Sherman still hasn't gone anywhere. I think he's a solid player still, whether the 49ers believe that or not I know that they already told him they weren't going to bring him back but you know as time goes on if they don't fill the need he wouldn't be a bad person to just bring back into the locker room just to lead that team he is a savvy vet he has a nose for the football I think that you know he's not going to be your number one corner but he can handle a second uh, you know a number two or a number three fairly well even at this late stage in his career and I know he's already kind of or from what I've read considering potentially even moving to safety later on in his career which I I'm all for that. I love seeing aging corners that maybe can't quite keep up with some of these young fast receivers and swapping over to the safety position. That would only help out the 49ers if he decided to stick around and do that there as well. So those are kind of the positions I need. I'm, I'm looking at for the San Francisco 49ers. They don't need a lot, but I know, but you know, with that second and third round pick, you really want to find somebody that's solid or potentially even a starter with those picks, especially for the interior D line in a corner for sure. Wide receivers kind of like a, you know, this is something we might need to address depending on how productive Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are actually going to be going into the next season with whoever the quarterback ends up being over in San Francisco.
Uh, beyond that, pro days are pretty good. Uh, some really exciting stuff coming out with the pro days that I'm, I want to share with you guys. So first things first, we'll talk about the elephant in the room, Justin Fields, the quarterback. He had one hell of a throw the other day and I'm going to pull, you know, and it's funny on Monday, I tried doing this with Zach Wilson and I wasn't able to do it. So this time around, I'm actually going to pull it up on screen for you guys here. We're going to show you Justin Fields throw from his pro day outstanding pass. This was probably, it seems like all the quarterbacks right now are doing the whole like running one way, throwing the other way deal for all the scouts and everything. This was probably the best version of it that I've seen. So I'm super impressed with Justin Fields. He's not getting the, you know, the mention and the notoriety I feel everyone else did. And whatever the reason for that may be, I don't know. But I will say this, this throw out of everyone that I've seen doing this so far, probably the most impressive. That's 65 yards through the air he sent that sailing. So awesome cannon of an arm. The way he's able to flip his hips on a dime, the way he's running that one direction and then like look at the flip and then he's able to just launch that ball with accuracy and everything. Hits the receiver in stride. Awesome throw from Fields. Very impressed with how that looked on his part. You know, there's a lot of conversation around Justin Fields right now. He had a great pro day. He ran a 4-4-4, which he was saying he was going to run, hopefully, a, a sub 4-4. He wanted to try to hit 4-3-9, 4-3-8 probably was his main goal. Um, he stumbled a little bit out of the gates on his run, so maybe that was why he didn't end up getting to where he wanted to be. But he showed he has the mobility and the speed for a quarterback in the NFL, which seems to be where a lot of people are trending. But... I was, you know, I've been listening and kind of reading in because it's weird watching how this whole thing went. I remember early on, Justin Fields was kind of like the, like he was the number two quarterback going into this draft, I would say like a handful of months ago. And then as things have slowly trended towards the draft and, you know, we've moved along, it feels like he's dropping down behind Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. And from what I'm gathering, I was I was listening to the Pat McAfee show yesterday and Dan Orlovsky was on there. He was talking about GM saying that, you know, there's there might be concerns about his work ethic and things like that. Uh, issues with past, his past team when he was in Georgia, not wanting to, you know, not really getting along with the teammates and stuff like that. Um, whether that is the reason why it seems to be he's slipping down the draft boards of some teams, you know, that kind of remains to be seen. I think he's still a, you know, a very strong prospect at the quarterback position. He could end up being really good. So I would be a little disappointed if he doesn't end up going as high as I expected him to go. Uh, but at the same time, if he falls and let's say, you know, he slips out of the top 10, which I don't think is going to happen. But if we're going to speak in hypotheticals here, a team like New England that's picking at number 15, if for whatever reason, Zach Wilson goes before him and Trey Lance goes before him, you get out of those three teams that are probably, or that are at this point, everyone assumes are taking quarterbacks with the Trevor Lawrence pick, the Zach Wilson being number two at the Jets. And then if they go, Mac Jones is moving up the board as well. Um, if he ends up falling out of the top 10 and he goes to somewhere like New England, I mean, talk about like the luck of the Irish or something for those Bostonians out there in New England because that place is going to be going. I just could not like fathom how New England would get a prospect at number 15 like Justin Fields. And I feel like if there's any concerns with that sort of stuff, whether it's character, is ambition, whatever it may be that everyone's talking about, you know, a place like New England could set him right, and he would buy into that system. They have Cam Newton there. Cam Newton would would be literally probably the 
perfect mentor for Justin Fields. And just the idea of it is just, it's like blowing my mind that this is something that's even a conversation we're having, but it, it seems like people are starting to think he might slip. I didn't click on the link, but I saw a post on ESPN earlier that was talking about the potential of him dropping out of the top 10. I didn't read into it because when I saw that, I was like, no way it's going to happen. But you know, the more I say it out loud, if it does happen and he falls to a team like New England, that's going to be insanity. That's going to be absolute insanity. So, you know, curious to see what ends up shaking out with the quarterback situation because it sounds like San Francisco is really, really starting to like Mac Jones. Whether that's just smoke for whatever the fire actually is over there, who knows? But Justin Fields looked awesome in his pro day, and that's all I have to say about that. He looked awesome going through it. Uh, Jamar Chase, another guy, top wide receiver. He sat out just this past season from LSU. He ran his uh, 40-yard dash in a 4.38, so he has the speed. He has the athleticism. Uh, you know, nobody seems to be really concerned that he took a year off from football because of the way everything shook out last year with the pandemic rolling through. Nobody really knew what was going on. He decided, you know, just sit out, whatever, let my last season speak for itself, which it does. On top of that, he had 11-foot broad jump, the 41-inch vertical. I mean, he has the height he has the ability to jump and you know to he has the athleticism you want in a true number one and i understand you know i kind of was leading up into the draft and just like through this offseason trying to make sense of how it teams weren't more worried about him taking a year off than it seemed to be and you know when you see numbers like these and i know some people are just saying this is people in shorts doing whatever that's still just premier like number one athleticism at wide receiver. So, you know, Jamar Chase looked great. He's probably going within the top 10 too, even though he took an entire year off. Kyle Pitts was another guy who had his pro day. And man, Kyle Pitts is a freak. Whoever gets Kyle Pitts, you know, they're set at the tight end position for 10 years, period. As long as he's not getting hurt. 4444 40 yard dash. A tight end. He is like 6'4, 250. I think he weighed at 245, but he's like 6'4, 250 almost. 10 foot 9 broad jump. 83 inch wingspan. I think mine's like 72. And I, so, like, I think, okay, I kind of have a decent wingspan. Another 10 inches or 11 inches on top of that. Talk about a catch radius for someone his size. This dude is going to be legit. I cannot wait to see wherever he ends up. Whoever's throwing him the football, though, is going to be so happy his team drafted him. Kyle Pitts, man, I will be so disappointed if he doesn't work out because he looks to be like the premier, not even, no, premier is not even the word, like the definitive version of what you would want to have in a tight end. He has all the athleticism, the speed. I, I mean, he, he was, the, I guess like the one thing is like, can he block? Because he never really was blocking too much over in Florida. He was more of the pass catching threat. And, you know, you could line him up in like the slot, a wide receiver, or even outside with four, four, four speed at a tight end. I mean, you could literally line him up with a number one corner. And if, if he's going up for a catch, he could probably come down with it. So I mean, you could really plug and play him in any position and him be a legitimate threat in any spot, whether it's the X, Y, or Z spot, wide receiver. I mean, you could go anywhere. So some of these, these like top athletes just showing up for all their pro days, and it has me so excited. I can't wait. I love the draft. I love seeing where all the rookies go. Uh, pro days are only going on for like, what is it, another 
Today's the first eight more days. Pro days wrap up April 9th, so we're getting close to the end of that. Um, some notable schools that are remaining. All the really big ones are pretty much done and done, but Oregon, Houston, Oregon State, Oklahoma State, those are like kind of some of the like bigger names left that you could say are remaining for the pro days. Um, but at this point, all that's really left, uh, the NFL is planning on bringing in about 150 prospects from this coming draft to come in and do medical evaluations with teams. And that's going to be held in Indianapolis, but that's pretty much all that's going to be left. Once these pro days wrap up as you know, they come in for their medical evals, as long as everyone's checking out and nobody's hurt or anything like that, or anything that wasn't known is, you know, not is discovered or anything like that. Uh, we're looking at four weeks out from the draft and I cannot wait for it. Cannot wait for it. Um, in some other big news for the NFL, not really big news, but a topic of discussion that we could have some big rule changes are going to potentially be made here in the coming days. The NFL owners are all meeting virtually right now within these, like, I don't know, starting from this past weekend, going through the week to discuss a, a number of rule changes that are potentially going to be happening for next season. Uh, two of the big ones that I think are probably likely to change that the, uh, the officiating teams were kind of bringing up were eliminating preseason overtime. I think that's completely unnecessary. Literally no reason for that. That's, you, you, there's just no need to get rid of it. You're only risking further injury to players. No point in O season, uh, OT preseason. There's no, no reason for it at all. Um, replay officials being able to speak with the actual on-field officials during, you know, key moments and things like that, or just in general. Uh, that's something that I'm surprised isn't already allowed. It needs to be changed. It needs to be done. They have an entire team in New York that does like, you know, like does replay work there being able to have them just speak straight to the officials as opposed to, you know, having officials make a call and then, Oh, let's go to the, to the people in New York and talk to them about what they saw, you know, being able to just have them all communicate, I feel will only help, you know, smooth out some of the rough calls that we've seen here and there. You know, if people want to look at like the saints Rams game from a few years back, whatever it may be your example for it. Um, I think this will help smooth some of the edges on those things. I, th I those are two of the like bigger ones that I think are probably going to get passed. Some other really interesting rule changes that are, that are going to be, uh, at least talked about whether they pass or not, obviously up for debate. Uh, this is more of an aesthetics one, and I'm kind of all for it because I love it in college. Uh, Kansas City put in to expand jersey number options for certain positions. It would essentially allow anyone that's not an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman to wear numbers one through 41. So seeing uh, you know a wide receiver wear number two, a linebacker wearing number five, you know, so some of the numbers that these college players wear in college, they could actually translate and bring into them into the NFL. I don't know if this one's going to actually pass or not, because I know that the whole reason for the numbers not changing thing has, it's like an old heads type thing where, you know, they, they like having like organization with the numbers and it's just like a classic thing. I don't know. It's a classic look, but like, you know, when you think of people like from way back in the day, like I, I just I, seeing a quarterback where like number, you know, 37, if you really wanted to, like that would be cool. Obviously probably not something you'll see, but like, it would just be, it would be just the prospect of it is really cool. And I'm all for wide receivers wearing single digits. I think some linebackers looked really cool uh, in the single digits. Um, somebody like, uh, for instance, chase young, he wore number two in college. Granted, he's a D lineman. <laughs> he's a linebacker. Now he just rushes. He just sits at the D line position on edge, but, uh, he's a linebacker. Now he could wear number two, like he did when he was in college. So that's one of the more interesting ones. It's like an aesthetic thing. I would be all for in seeing. Uh, on top of that, what else is on here? Um, 
Philadelphia has put this one in. This is something that's got brought up, I think, a couple of times. This isn't the first time this one got brought up, but allowing a team to maintain possession of the ball after a score by substituting one offensive play being from 4th and 15, replacing the onside kickoff type deal. So essentially, once per game, every single, as opposed to always, once per game, a team is allowed to do a 4th and 15 as opposed to an onside kick after scoring and try to keep the ball and, you know, get another possession. Um with that, I mean, I don't know. That's another thing where some of those rules, like they they they, they butt heads with the old heads that don't want to see change in the game. Uh, I would like to see something like that. I like that there's the limit. I think the limit is good. Just swapping out to fourth and 15 and getting rid of onside kicks is not what I would, would go with. But having the choice there to do it maybe once in a game, that's something that I would be interested in seeing. Um, another one is uh, Baltimore and Philadelphia put this one in. Uh, an option for the winner of an overtime coin toss and kind of create more of a sudden death format. So a lot of conversation has gone on about whether the NFL should go back to just immediate sudden death, whether it's like kick a field goal game over touchdown game over. Uh, I'm all for the sudden death thing. Uh, for a while, I was actually on when I when this first got changed, I was actually for it was, you know, teams winning off a field goal. But if you change up the way teams could actually decide what they're doing if they win a coin toss. And the one idea that was brought up that I saw a few weeks back that I really loved was like, have the home team pick the yard line and the away team pick whether they kick or receive or like whether they get the ball or they play defense. And then you put like a, a an unknown risk factor kind of deal. Cause you don't know what the other team's going to select. So you could, get the ball at your own five yard line per se, and really back yourself up because you wanted to get the ball first, but the other team puts you at the five. Like that's a crazy scenario. Another one would be, okay, maybe we think, cause this team typically in overtime situations chooses to defer. Okay. Let's just, let's just say we're going to put the ball at, at, you know, their 30 yard line and hope that they don't pick receive. Then it did. Then the whole, I, the whole thing is a team literally has 30 yards to go to score. And then that could be the end of the game. So I like that idea. I think that's something that's really interesting. I would be all for that. But as far as rule changes go, those are some of the more like interesting ones. There's some other ones that are kind of just like nitty gritty stuff that I'm not really interested in. Um, adding an eighth official who is, you know, positioned somewhere on the field. Uh, and then on top of that, loss of down for a second forward pass. So just like some more like more nuanced type rule changes. But the ones I mentioned are the ones I was kind of more interested in, in actually seeing happen if they were to be approved. Uh, outside of rule changes, though, there were some contract extensions over the last few days. And this is pretty much, um, yeah, this is pretty much the last of everything that I have. Uh, Tyler Lockett signed a big four-year, $69 million extension, wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, he's an absolute burner. He has become a, a big piece in that receiving game for the Seattle Seahawks. So good on him for receiving massive money deal. The Raiders were able to uh, throw in essentially extensions for two of their people. Colton Miller got a three-year, $54 million extension. So they're kind of reworking for the younger players on their offensive line that apparently they really like and was ultimately the reason why they kind of did a max exodus of their entire offensive line. Gabe Jackson also got a three-year, $22.5 million deal. So kind of locking in some of these younger players that are replacing all the people they let go and, you know, keeping them in for the long run. The Raiders must have confidence in their ability to play. A lot of the people they let go for this past season, you know, as far as offensive linemen go, were hurt and not playing last year. Whether you feel that it was a good idea because their offensive line wasn't rated very highly this past season, whether you think the Raiders made a good choice on that or not is really just up for debate. Um, 
but you know, it's good to see that they're kind of committing and they're showing that, okay, we believe that these younger players have promise on the team. Um, obviously whether that ends up working out for them will remain to be seen. We'll be able to judge that as the season rolls on in the 17 game season we're getting this uh, upcoming year, but that's pretty much it for all the news I got for you guys. Um, just want to double check my notes here. Yeah, no, that's just about all of it. So with that end of the show, I'll run the question back again for you guys, for anyone who stuck around the whole way through and got to the end here. Are you looking forward to the 17-game season that we're heading our way into now and going forward for the NFL's future, at least until like 2030? Uh, and are you excited for any specific matchups? Some of the big ones, including uh, the Buccaneers and the Colts. You also have Packers, Chiefs, Seahawks, Steelers, Cardinals, Browns, Rams, Ravens, like a lot of playoff teams from this past season meeting up now thanks to the 17th game that they're adding to the schedule. So are you excited for it? Who do you want to see play most? Uh, but other than that, that is Thursday, everybody. I will catch you all same time, same place on Monday. Um, I don't know what the date's going to be. What is tomorrow? The second, third, fourth? Was it like the fourth, fifth, April 4th? I don't know whatever day that's going to be. But I'll catch you Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Enjoy the rest of your evening, everybody. See you all again real soon.